0: It sure is a delight to hear you sing those wonderful, heart-stirring words regarding the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an incredible joy it is to gather in His presence with you, His people today, and simply lift up our hearts to Him and recognize the great work which He has done in saving us from our sins on the cross and in being victorious over our great enemy, Death in the resurrection now this Sunday Easter Sunday is a Sunday that is a highlight in the church calendar because of the focus on the resurrection but the reality is every Sunday is Easter Sunday every Sunday we remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ we are as has been said an Easter people we have been made by the resurrection. We are a people who have been renewed and regenerated by the power that has come in the resurrection. And yet, isn't it so often the case that it is not a part of the way that we think each Sunday as we come into the presence of the Lord, nor the way in which we live uh, day in and day out as those of us who are believers in the Lord. It's as if, as we confessed a little earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we live as if there is no resurrection from the dead. We go through our life, making our life, and pursuing life as if all that really matters is what's here. That's one of the ways that we display the fact that we are not a people who are living according to the resurrection. And so I want to ask you a question. What would your life actually look like if you lived by the light of the resurrection, what would what would happen? What would change? What would be different about your day-to-day existence? Well, in many ways, we want to explore that very reality this morning from the text of Scripture that's before us. But before we do, I want to illustrate, as it were, for you what I think is like living the Christian life for many of us in this room without a real reference to Uh, the resurrection or Easter being a part of the way in which we think and live. I was running across a story just a few weeks ago of a man who bought a home in Geneva, uh, New York during the the, the great moving uh, expedition that went on during the pandemic. Everybody everywhere was moving somewhere uh, during the pandemic. And in December of 2020, this man moved to Geneva, New York. He bought an old clunker of a house, we might say, that needed lots of work. He was going to do most of the work himself with a friend of his, putting in the elbow grease to fix it up to be his law office. Was well, as he and his friends were working there in the house... They were on the second floor, and as they were replacing a light bulb, they saw a little piece of the ceiling had come off, and when they looked at the ceiling, they realized that what they saw was a kind of subfloor or a flooring underneath the or up above the second floor. This struck him as very unusual. He had no idea that there was more space in this house. When he purchased the home, there was no mention of either a third floor or an attic, but lo and behold, they began to explore around and found a way into the attic. And as they entered into the attic, they found a museum of treasures, a museum of treasures. Come to find out that it was the studio of James Hale, who was one of the great photographers of the last century. It had been shut up, his entire studio, with negatives and pictures of famous people in that house for at least three decades. No one had been within that attic. Even the very famous picture of Susan B. Anthony that's hanging in the Library of Congress was actually taken by James Hale and probably the original photograph there in the studio. An amazing find. And all of a sudden, uh, David Whitcomb, who was the purchaser of this home, realized That the value of the home and the work that he wanted to put into it and the law office that he had planned for it was just simply a moot point to the value of what was discovered in the midst of the home. There was a treasure that he had no idea was right underneath his nose in the midst of the home that he purchased. I have reason to believe that the resurrection is a lot like that in the lives of so many Christians. It's this wonderful life and doctrine that we take out once a year and look at in some detail on Easter, and then we quickly put it away. It's a little bit like Grandma's China. Maybe you're pulling out Grandma's China today, I don't know, for Easter lunch, and you're like, I don't remember the last time that we used Grandma's China, and you're going to wash it, and you're going to say, you know, we should use it more, and you're going to put it away, and you're not going to use it again for who knows how long. In some ways, the resurrection doesn't come a part of our lives and a part of the way that we think as an important spiritual reality until, as it were, we need it. You know what Peter's telling you in the text that's before us? You need it every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. And it would radically change the way you look at life and the way you move through life if all of a sudden the reality of the resurrection was closer to your heart. As we look at 1 Peter 1, 3-5 today, I want you to see that Peter has in mind for you a new life, a new hope, and a new future based on the resurrection. And they're yours today in Christ. Let's look together at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5. through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, as we together consider this your word on resurrection someday, would you now make plain to us the power of the resurrection and grant to us the richness of the treasures which Peter himself displays for us in this wonderful text. Come and make the resurrection live in the life and the heart of all of us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Peter wants you to know that in this text, there are three treasures that are available to you as believers in Christ by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus. These treasures are only the possession of Christians. These treasures are only the possession of Christians. Nobody else in this world has the treasures which Peter himself is displaying for us here in First Peter chapter three verses one through five. In this text he 's actually saying to us. I want you to know the richness of what it is that Jesus has accomplished for you in the resurrection. And it's not just a truth in a doctrine that comes late in life at your deathbed, as important as that is. We'll get there today. The reality is it's a truth that lives every day with you as the believer. And these treasures are for you. Now, in hearing, as I just described, these treasures as only being for Christians, maybe some of you in this room are exploring Christianity for the first time. You're visiting to learn. Maybe someone from this congregation invited you, drug you along to this worship service this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, well, if they will cook for me Easter lunch, I will go to church with them that morning. And so we're grateful that you're here. But then you heard a pastor just a second ago say, there are three treasures that Peter has and they're only for Christians. And that just triggered in your own mind and heart. You're like, yep, that's what I thought about Christians. They think they're pretty exclusive people. They have a corner on all of the treasure, whatever treasure it is he's talking about up there. And they kind of think they're a little better than everybody else. This just reinforces everything that I've thought about Christians. Well, let me just stop you right there. Those who are Christians here in this room know better than that. The the reality is all the treasures that are being spoken about here are so treasures. They're so deeply treasures because we don't deserve them. We didn't earn them, and it's not because we're a cut above the rest. Uh, It is the exact opposite. Christians are those who are aware of their utter need for the Lord Jesus Christ and their desperate need for him to deposit these treasures into their life through the resurrection of Christ. In fact, I just go on record saying I have friends, very close friends, who are not Christians that are better than many Christians that I know. Now, That's not meant to offend any of you here in this room because I wouldn't be speaking of you, of course. But there, there are those people in the world who don't know Christ who are better than Christians in the world. I'll I'll go a step further. There are people who I know who don't know Christ who are better than me a lot of the times, which is just to prove the fact that I really need Christ and I really need these treasures. The recognition of that very reality is part of what Peter wants to dawn on all of us today, that these treasures come by the gifting and the grace and the mercy of God. And so the question is, of course, what are these three gifts that I'm talking about here in this text? Well, they're very simple. The gifts are new life, new hope, and new future. The three gifts are new life, new hope, and new future. Notice what he says right there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that according to his great mercy, remember that's how these gifts come, he has caused us to be born again. Now that could be translated born anew, but it simply means that we have gained in Christ A new life. The Christian life is a new life. That's what Peter wants you to see. But not only that, look at verse 4. He says, By virtue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed when? At the last time, it's in the future. The fullness of this salvation, though implanted right now in the believer, he and she has new life who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. But the fullness of that salvation that has been given to them will not be revealed until the future. There is a new future that has been given to believers. And let me just connect these dots very simply for you. If you have a prospectively good future in mind and your life is drastically changed for the good in the moment, you know what's happening inside of you? <laughs> you have hope. You have new hope that rises up within you. A living hope, he says. This is not a hope that's like a wish or a fleeting desire. It's the kind of certain." abiding hope that only God can speak and he says it to us and in the way that he says it it's so let it be said so let it be done it is as sure as anything it is a living hope now all of that makes sense because you experience actually those three things anytime a good thing happens in your life so for instance I had a very good friend last year who sold his company He had developed a product and a patent associated with that company, and that product had done extremely well, so well that a Fortune 500 American company came knocking on the door and said, we want that product. We want the rights to that patent. We want everything. And he said, hey, I'll sit at the table with you. What's that going to mean? And $34 million later, he had sold his business. Now, I don't know about you, those kind of paydays don't come around for me very often. Yay, never. <laughs> but I will say what happened to him in that moment was we could, we could say honestly, his life changed. And do you know what began to happen in the moment that his life changed with that kind of revenue immediately hitting his bank account? A, a new kind of future could be envisioned. A whole new kind of future could be envisioned. And you know what began to well up in his heart? A new hope. A new hope. Now, when we hear that sort of story or we experience those kinds of realities even in our own lives, when we come to Christ and we say he has a new life and a new hope and a new future for you, it can easily sound like we need to ask Christ to come into our lives to make our lives better. That's what Christ Does He's coming into our lives to make our lives better. And when we hear it that way, it intrigues us, at least for a number of us in this room. One kind of hearer, when they hear that if Christ enters into your life, your life will be better, says, tell me more. (laughs) And they say, tell me more, because my life is wanting. It may be terrible in some ways. It may need some things. And you realize, like, my life is lacking I'm looking for something. Christ might be the thing that I'm looking for. Tell me more. I want a better life. Some hearers are like that when they hear the message of Christianity and they're pursuing Christ for a better life. Others respond totally differently and maybe this is you. When you hear the offer of a new life and a new future and a new hope and you say, it's very kind of Christ. It's very nice, Pastor, to hear that from you. But the reality is my life, frankly, is is pretty good. I live in Williamson County, after all, and I have a good job, and I actually have a spouse that loves me, and I don't have any diagnoses to be concerned about. In fact, I'm in pretty good shape. My kids made honor roll this last time around. I don't know that I want to take the risk of a new life when the life that I have is a pretty good life. Some are hearing the invitation of Christ in that way. And what's interesting, if you'll notice, there's a similarity between those responses. They may feel like they're completely antithetical or opposite to one another. They're not opposite of one another. You know why? The first person wants Christ for a better life. The second person doesn't want Christ because they want to keep their life. Do you notice a similarity? They're interested in their life. They're interested in their life, and they want to know what Christ can do for their life. Either give them the life that they're dreaming of, or not come in and meddle with my life that's already pretty good. Now, I have bad news for both of you hearers out there. Bad news for both of you hearers. For the one who is actually looking for Christ... As a way to get a better life, I want to assure you that Christ will make your life better, but probably not in the way that you're thinking. In fact, if you're thinking that Christ will make your life better, it would be as if you were approaching marriage thinking that, I want to marry him, I want to marry her because they're going to make my life better. Some of us married that way. And it was a rude awakening when we got 48 hours into this marriage. And we realized, they don't always make me happy. This is not always wonderful and joyful, that with this person comes a whole other range of experiences that I wouldn't refer to as benefits, that have not necessarily made my life better. If we are pursuing marriage, a relationship with a person, and we're doing so with ourselves in view, we're going to be very disappointed. And the fact is, what many people do as they do in marriage, they do with Christ. They pursue Christ with themselves totally in view. I'm gonna trust in Christ, I'm gonna follow Christ, and my life is gonna turn out fantastic because of the promises in this word. Now, the reason we know that is not in any way what Peter is suggesting by New Life is who it is he's speaking to in this text. The the writer Peter is speaking to Christians in Asia Minor who have lost their homes. They're in exile. They've been marginalized on the edges of the culture. They've been been run off and attacked. They're on the cusp of significant persecution. Now, just imagine Peter approaching them and saying, Hey, because you've trusted in Jesus, isn't your life going great? Isn't your life awesome? I mean, you lost your home. You've been relegated to the margins of society, and persecution is coming. You may lose your life or the loved ones in your life. Blessed be God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Peter's a, how insensitive of Peter to speak that way to people whose lives are literally coming apart at the seams. But Peter's got a secret on You and me with regards to who he's speaking to. He knows that these people have not trusted in Christ for a better life. That has not been the focus of why it is that they have trusted in Christ. You know why they've trusted in Christ? Because Christ is a better life. He is a wholly different life. When you marry the one that you marry, you don't marry them for simply the benefit that they bring to you. Are they going to bring benefit to you? You better believe it. But if you marry them for that reason, you're going to have a whole host of things that you're going to have to work through. If you marry them for the reason that you love them, you'll receive whatever you have to go through to keep them and to hold on to and to pursue them. You see, Peter's talking to a people who have found Jesus to be the greatest treasure in life that they are willing to lose every other treasure in life to gain him. He is a holy other life. The resurrection life of Jesus is not an addendum to get you a better life. It's a wholly different life. It's a life where Jesus is actually at the center of your existence. He is the treasure of your life. Peter knows here in the context of this passage is that what's being given to the people of God is, is not a kind of new start with Jesus. What's been given to them is a new life by which they may start, a completely different principle of life. Do you know what these people are? They are people who have been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. They no longer live. Their life is no longer their own. Their stuff is no longer their own. They live solely for the Lord Jesus. They live by faith and trust in him. The world has been crucified to them and them to the world. They can honestly say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ. That's why when troubles come, as long as it makes much of Christ, they're at peace with it. They're willing to embrace it. Now that doesn't mean that they don't suffer, doesn't mean that they don't at times complain, it doesn't mean that they don't struggle with sin, it doesn't mean that they're simply always riding an emotional high because they are people who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they bottom out, they lament, they've got to go back to the source from which their joy comes, but those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? That joy is recovered. That hope is found, and the afflictions of this life actually wean them away from the affections of this life, and it places them in love and in commitment to Jesus Christ, the only one who will never fail them. That's a wholly different life, and it's brought to them, as you can see, a wholly different future. I've got to see this very recently in our congregation through a number of stories, stories of people who have... Seen success over fighting long addictions and battles with sin and relationships that have been unreconciled that have recently come to peace by the virtue of the power of the gospel. Wonderful stories such as that, but one story really touched me this week. It was a card that I received from a member of this congregation who can't worship with us this Sunday and hasn't been able to worship with us for a long time because of the disease that's ravaging their body. It's gotten increasingly worse to the point that they can't uh, get out and are not mobile on any, in any way that they can approach um, the sanctuary as we are this morning. And yet in the letter they wrote, they wanted to give me an update on how it is they were doing, but in the latter half of the letter, the focus was all on God and grace and mercy and Jesus. It was saying, you know, as this disease continues, where I trust in the Lord, he is sovereign. He's in control of my life. My peace and my joy uh, actually strangely are increasing and have not been shattered by virtue of the suffering that I'm going through. I'm learning more and more what it means to truly trust in Christ. Now listen, friends, from the eyes of the world, that's insane. You know, there was a chart that was written on by a doctor who was treating a Christian patient. And one of the oddities of what was written on the chart was they were looking for unusual symptoms in this particular case. And there were no unusual symptoms at this point. They they had, you know, identified the disease and all the symptoms were being treated. The only unusual symptom was what they referred to as inordinate and unusual joy. Inordinate and unusual joy. We don't see this in patience. It's as if she has a new life. A different kind of life. A different kind of hope. A different kind of future. Where does that come from? From the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know if you're a believer in Christ today, you actually have the very spirit... That raised Jesus from the dead, you have dwelling within you. Ponder that for a minute. That's Paul's words. Don't take my words for it. That's Paul's words in Romans chapter 8. He says, If you have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, you've acknowledged that He died a substitutionary death for you on the cross, He took your place. And he paid the penalty for your sins. Then he went to the grave and he faced your final enemy, death, which has had um, quite a victory string with us human beings. Have you noticed this? He faced our greatest enemy, death, and, and he was victorious over our greatest and last enemy, death. And... The scripture tells us that if we trust in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who's in our shoes, he took our place, when he ascended to the heavenly places, he sent his spirit. And that spirit that he sent to us is the spirit that raised him from the dead. When I hear that dear saint here at Cornerstone writing that letter, and I hear of these victories happening over sin and new disciplines being incorporated into life and evangelism fruit, where men and women are coming to know the Lord, you know what we're seeing? We're seeing the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. You want proof of the resurrection? Look around. Look around. He's at work in the midst of His people. There is death to life happening in all quadrants of Christ's kingdom. This resurrection is what's taking place even in the midst of your heart. As you begin to walk by faith in deeper and more profound ways with the risen Christ. But listen, I haven't forgotten about that second group. I, I had not talked about you much. But I want to come back to you because it's very important. You know who you are. Your life is pretty good. You're thinking you don't need the help of Christ. You're not looking to Him. In fact, I've not done a great job is the way that you would probably think it to try to persuade me to follow Christ, because you were just telling me like to, to embrace Christ, this new life, this new future, this new hope, might mean that I would lose a lot of stuff in this life. That was true for the, the recipients of the letter of First Peter. So, um, Pastor, you sort of shot yourself in the foot there. I'm not really that interested in this Christ if it means I'm going to lose my little slice of heaven here in Williamson County. Well, I just want to encourage you Along these lines, that the life that you have, as great as it is, and it is for many of you in this room, including the one who stands behind this bullpen, so many blessings in our lives, so many blessings to count and to give thanks to the Lord for. But this good life that we enjoy, it is fleeting. It is fleeting. It will not last forever. What your desire and hope was, was to hold on to your life at the beginning of our time together. You heard about this new life. You're like, I don't want to risk that. I've got a pretty good life. Well, maybe for a little while. But death is going to come and visit you. Or it's going to visit one of your loved ones. Trials and difficulties are going to happen in your marriage or with your children. Friends are going to hurt you. Difficulties are going to derail you. And many of them are gonna come like a bolt from blue sky. You're gonna be totally surprised by them. You didn't see them coming. The life that you have right now is not the life that will remain. Let that sink in. This body is gonna wear out. No matter how good your marriage is, one of you is going to die. Your possessions are ultimately going to be left behind. All the money you've accumulated is going to be left to your children. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to fight over it. That's what they're going to do. And on your deathbed, you're not going to hear a doctor say, you know, if you just
1: eat right
0: and exercise, and eat, you know, an apple a day will keep me away. If you do those things, you're going to get better. You know what you're going to hear the doctor say in that moment? with your family gathered around the hospital bed, he or she's going to say there's nothing more we can do. We all get there, my friends. Not a one of us in this room will escape that reality. The life that you're trying to hold on to is a life that you can't hold on to. There's no way for you to hold on to it. I want to tell you that truth. I want that truth to settle by God's grace on your mind and your heart today. It's one of those truths that you push into that forgotten attic of your mind, isn't it? You go through life and you say to yourself, I just don't want to think about that. I'm just going to go to the gym and try to eat right. That has never made someone live eternally. (laughs) That's not a plan to hold on to your life. That's a good thing. Take care of your body. Your body will die. Peter is coming to you and he's coming to me and he says, I want you to take in the reality of a future that is beyond the grave. That when you close your eyes and when you breathe your last on this earth, how will you know that you have not closed your eyes and breathed your last? How will you know that you will move from life to life How will you know that as the air exits your lungs, so to speak, on earth, that your soul is filled with the glory of Jesus in heaven as you are received into his loving arms? How are you going to know that? By faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. The one who has conquered the grave. Do you have a better plan? Do you know of someone else who has conquered the grave? Do you know of another plan that can help you with that Matter that's before you that you're not going to escape. We're here today to tell you this is the only way. And he is available to you today by faith. The Christians around you can tell you even more deeply about him. That his love for you is from before the foundation of the world. He set his affections upon his people. And he has come in time and space and history. To take the full load of judgment of your sin. You know that you have fallen short even of your own standards. Much less God's standards. And Jesus is wiping that clean on the cross through his blood. He has sacrificed himself in order that you might be washed. And then he has risen from the dead in order that you might have life. And today he is before you through the word and the spirit. And he is saying to you, don't try to hold on to your life. Don't try to add me as an addendum to your life. Cast all your cares upon me and make me to be your life by trusting in me. That's the Easter hope of 1 Peter chapter 1. That's the message that lasts far beyond the moments where we are simply looking for a change in circumstance in our lives or wistfully hoping for something to come along that will make us last just a little bit longer. The kind of hope that's given to you today is an eternal hope, an Easter hope, a resurrection hope. And Jesus is as close to all of us in this room as the exercise of faith, the exercise of trust. Today is the day of salvation. Fly to the Lord and call to Him. Seek Him while He may be found. He will in no wise cast you out. Father in heaven, we pray that your message, the power of the good news of the gospel, would be inescapably powerful to the lives and the hearts of all of us in this room, Christian and non-Christian alike. Cause us now by grace to rejoice in you and to pursue you in faith, to meet us all along the way in life and to catch us On the other end of Jordan, to recognize as we cross those waters, we cross into a land full of your glory and love, that this new life, this new hope, ushers forth in a new and forever future. Father, by these truths, in the power of your spirit now, change us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.